a little rise in intensity, you know, um, not a lot because we are in shorts and we had some guys getting too close to the quarterback today a couple of times uh, where we don't get anybody hurt, but still compete. Bruce Arians, all about compete, compete, compete in these mini camp workouts. We've graduated from the NFL draft to OTAs, now to Bucks mini camp. Welcome to another rendition of A Few Extra Bucks. I am Mike Neighbors. I'm going to bring in our voice of reason, our producer, Justin Thomas. Justin, how are you? It's been a while. It's been a little while. Yeah, we got to catch up. I'm also bringing in uh, our Bucks insider, Roy Cummings. Uh, you know, off the bat, Roy, uh, the first day of mini camp, I'm out there, and my first idea that pops in my head i'm in the indoor facility and i'm thinking man this is a it's really nice but b what do you, how do you feel if you're ronde barber or if you're Derek brooks you're warren sap you're john lynch thinking why didn't we have this thing 20 years ago what the hell you know <laughs> yeah that's a question i i should ask those guys uh we should ask at some point because you're right um there was one of the most confounding things um, the Buccaneers, you know, obviously for years they were terrible. Um, but when when they started getting good, when Tony Dungy took over as the coach and they had, you know, the, the all-star cast of uh, Brooks, Sapp, Lynch, Barber, etc., uh, when that group was there, they were still playing, practicing every day at old one-buck place. And forget about not having an indoor facility. That was one of the most – that was one of the worst facilities you've ever scene. Yes. I mean, it was truly the slum of NFL practice facilities. They had the weights had to be outside because they didn't have room inside for them. Uh, the inside was so small. The, the meeting rooms were horribly small. There was no room. They had trailers. Most of the people were in trailers. It was just awful. And I think they probably think that if we could have had a much better facility, I don't know how much better they could have been, but they probably think they could have won a maybe another Super Bowl or two had they had a little bit better facility to work work in uh, and a little bit work, better working environment. Because you know, look, I really I believe that on a consistent basis, being inside for workouts like this is going to save the body. It's going to save a lot of wear and tear. Um, you know, it's not easy for a body to have to go in and get IVs, um, and that happens a lot in the summer when training camp starts with the Buccaneers, it's kind of a regular thing. Uh, and that's simply because uh, it's so hot outside. Now you do have to play work outside a lot because you have to get used to it. But at the end of the day, if you've got the option of going inside uh, to get out of the rain, make sure you get your work in uh, just to avoid the heat uh, a couple of times a week makes all kinds of sense. I think in, in time, the Buccaneers hadn't happened yet, obviously, but in time, I think the Bucs will greatly benefit from it. And I think the old Bucks would have benefited a lot from it. Well, we have a lot to get to uh, in this podcast. Uh, we're going to hear about kind of the, the, the culture, the mindset so far uh, from Bruce Arians. We're going to hear from Todd Bowles, the brand new defensive coordinator. And, you know, we're going to give you something that uh, a lot of the media can't give you. We like to give you interviews they don't get. You know, Bo Allen was brought to the podium today, not in Dominican Sioux. But we're going to go one-on-one with Vernon Hargraves, who to me is an integral part of this defense especially the secondary. I talked to him about a number of subjects. He used to be the young guy in the room. Now he's the oldest cornerback in the Bucks room. So we'll talk about that, you know, life without McCoy and Quan Alexander. And, uh, yeah, let's touch on Gerald McCoy. Roy, I- I'm sorry. You know, Gerald McCoy is a nice enough guy. 
But I have Gerald McCoy fatigue right now. I mean, he has the press conference in Carolina. He has the video on Instagram, my new home. He's flying around like a you know, cartoon character that he loves. You know, I know Gerald McCoy is, you know, a decent guy and, and a, I think a, a decent player. I'm not going to say he's, a, you know, no, I don't know. There's a lot of you know things I could say about Joe McCoy. I'm just kind of tired of this story. This this to me gets to the point in the off season where I just want to see games. I'm tired of these you know back and forth on Twitter. All Sue's got his number. Always saying this at the Carolina press conference. Gerald, I wish you the best in Carolina, but frankly, Roy, I have Gerald McCoy fatigue right now. You know I get it. Um, and look, you know that I'm a Gerald McCoy guy. I, I think he's one of the, clearly he's the one of the most decorated players in the history of the game. I, I think he belongs in the ring of honor, even though he never played in a playoff game for the Buccaneers. I still think he belongs there, uh, just for all of his personal accomplishments. Um, but I get it. I understand the fatigue. There's been an awful lot of talk, this is, but this is what happens in the off season. There's been an awful lot of talk about a guy that seemingly no one cared about. I, I almost, I hesitate to say that because, I mean, I, Gerald McCoy was a polarizing figure. I think he was one of those guys, like me, you either loved him and thought he was special, or like you, you could kind of take him or leave him at best. And and so there's been an awful lot of talk. And I think the reason there's been a lot, not, not only is it the only thing going on with the Buccaneers, um, you know, at a, at a quiet time in, in the sports calendar here in Tampa Bay, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the media, for the most part, I think got it with Gerald McCoy. First of all, he was great to the media 99% of the time. He was tremendous with us. Um, that always you know, helps. Uh, but I think the media also saw the player and how great he was and appreciate, appreciates how great he was as a player because the media here that's covered this team for, you know, anybody, anyone who's covered this team for, you know, like as long as I have, for example, knows that, this guy was one of the best players on, a, unfortunately, a lot of bad football teams. And I think that has a lot to do with it. The fact that – and I think we can close out the McCoy situation like this. You know, listening to Bruce Arians talk today, I kind of had a revelatory moment. And there's been a lot of talk about how Gerald McCoy was, was dispatched. The Buccaneers didn't want him. Uh, they didn't really like – I mean, I think internally they probably used the word soft to describe him. Uh, that that uh, Bruce Arians clearly likes the the demeanor of Ndamukong Sue better than he likes Gerald McCoy's demeanor on the football field, and that's fine. I get that. But I think, to be honest, I think the biggest reason Gerald McCoy is not a Buccaneer and Ndamukong Sue is two things. Number one, they could get Ndamukong Sue because nobody else was really all that anxious to sign him. And number two, and maybe the most important aspect is, he fits what they do defensively, and they know it. Mm-hmm. Todd Bowles wanted Ndamukong Sue a year ago. Ndamukong Sue, I think, just felt he had a better opportunity of getting somewhere quicker uh, in terms of the playoffs with the Rams than he did with the Jets. And so Ndamukong Sue fits what they do. I, and I think that's really the reason that he's here. I, I think that they would have been kind of rolling the dice a little bit with Gerald McCoy Sticking with him as their, you know, their primary three technique. Uh, look, Gerald McCoy can move along the line just like Indomitian Sue can, but Indomitian Sue has done it. He's done it in this defense. He's had a lot of success in this defense. Doing that with Gerald McCoy, uh, a guy who's constantly played in a four-three scheme, uh, it, it might not have worked as well. So I think, you know, I think for people who are upset that Gerald McCoy is gone, 
look at it that way. And it's not that so much that it was Gerald McCoy and he's soft and he doesn't fit what they do. It's just that I think they believe that Adamic and Sue is a better fit in this scheme of what they're going to do. And don't forget, it's a guy that this coaching staff, in essence, wanted at least a year ago, if not sooner. So I think that's if you're upset about Gerald McCoy being gone, first of all, I'll be glad that he's in Carolina. You'll get a chance to see him, not you know, not up, up close, but you can see him twice against the Bucks. That'll be interesting, sure. But uh, I think it's just a matter of fit. It, he didn't. They had a better fit for their scheme, and that was in Dominican Sue. Okay, here's my follow-up on Gerald McCoy. You know, I see him dancing around, uh, you know, Carolina's field today, and you know, it's just, he's very sensitive on social media, jumping on ESPN reporter Jenna Lane about something that she wrote. He could have easily have ignored that. I just see a lot of things with Gerald McCoy, the Instagram post to kind of the subliminal message to Bruce Arians. Uh, To me, if Warren Sapp would have uh, been in his prime today with social media, it would have been a hell of a lot more entertaining than Gerald McCoy. But I'm not excusing Sapp and I'm not excusing McCoy. I don't think the true leaders out there, the Peyton Mannings, the Derek Brooks, the John Lynch's, Act like Gerald McCoy does on social media. He's over, he's oversensitive. He's overdramatic. That's the part that I'm just tired of, Roy. Frankly. He is oversensitive, but so is our president. Um, so I can't knock him for that. Well, I don't like that guy either. But I won't get that's, that. That's, that's, yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole other podcast. But but no, yes, he is oversensitive. I get that, um, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of it either. But I'm okay with. It. I wish you'd be bigger than that, but. In terms of, yes, he ran out on the field, I'm home, I'm home. Look, Gerald McCoy has always been a big kid at heart. And I think it's one of the reasons, and Mike, I, I hear it in, 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 what, in your comments, I think it's one of the reasons he's disliked by the people who dislike him. They think that he's a pro football player. Gerald McCoy, he just turned 30, okay? I mean, I, I'm glad that he approached this game like a kid. Good for him because it's a kid's game, you know, and, and, and I appreciate the fact that he goes out there every day and, and acts like a kid. I think that's what keeps him young and makes him part of part of what makes him special. He acts like a kid. I don't have a problem with that because he acts like an adult when he has to with his family and his children uh, and things like that. And, and and that's to me what matters. So I see where people are coming from. I think that's one of the reasons they don't like him. In fact, Gerald McCoy ran out on the field, said, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home. Hey, you know what? Someone showed him some love. And I think we all feel good when that happens. You can watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette to see it. Oh, no. You know, they're falling. You always oh, see no. a smile usually. So, uh, look, oh, the, no. guy, the guy is being loved by the people in Carolina right now. They're happy to have him. Uh, a week ago, somebody told him, you know what? You're not good enough for us anymore. So when somebody comes around and says – Hey, we got a home for you. You feel good about it. I'll just say I've had people tell me in my life that uh, we don't have room for you anymore. Has it been because maybe I'm not good enough? You've had people tell you that we've been laid off. I'm not I'm not acting like that on social media. That's just me. That's just personal preference. But you know what, Roy? If I ever get in trouble, I want you defending me because that was a very good defense. And I agree with the family part and the adult part and the child part. So I, I respect your opinion. Um, let's get to Vernon Hargraves before we get to Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. I want to give... Uh, our listeners, something you can't get anywhere else. But Vernon Hargraves, to me, Roy is an interesting guy in this Bucks team for so many reasons. He kind of personifies this Bucks team in a lot of ways. You have guys entering this season that better step it up, and there's so many of them in this team. 
for this team to have success. You can say that about a lot of NFL teams, but when you have bad teams, you need those guys to kind of really step it up in ways they haven't more than other teams because they're counting on them. I mean, you can look at some good teams around the NFL. They have guys who have proven themselves, and Jameis Winston hasn't proven himself yet, and Vernon Hargraves really hasn't proven himself. I had a chance to catch up with him after the Bucks minicamp practice, and here was my one-on-one with Vernon Hargraves. How you feeling this minicamp? I feel good. I feel good. I'm, I'm ready to go. Still getting my feet back under me a little bit. My first time playing since last, last September, so just still trying to still trying to get a feel for it. But I'm feeling good. I'm feeling healthy. What's the biggest difference between Dirk Cutter and Bruce Arians in terms of practice, in terms of attitude, in terms of whole vibe around here? I mean, you're not going to find much difference between practice and coaches. I mean, they they both want you to work hard. They both expect great things. They both expect perfection. I mean, there's not that big of a difference on the practice field. It was once upon a time you were the young guy. Now you got a lot of young DBs around yeah. you. How was the role change for you? Like you just said, I'm the oldest guy in the room now. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but uh, I knew that coming in. It's expected, and they expect a lot from me, and, and I expect a lot from myself. Burn, it's been a roller coaster ride with the injuries and the up and down play, and, yeah. but it feels like they picked up your option. They have confidence in you. Does that oh, yeah. help you when you come out here? Of course, of course. It shows they believe in me. And uh, yeah, I mean, of course. My, my job right now is just to play football. I can't really. Think about my option. Just, I'm worried about this year. I'm worried about this team and these guys. Final question: uh, Quan's not here anymore. Gerald's not here anymore. Uh, yeah. What's the difference in this defense in terms of practice right now? I mean, hey, there's new guys step in, guys leave, guys got to step up. You know, Vernon Hargraves. You can say what you want about him. You know, he hasn't lived up to being a first-round pick. But I'll say this, Roy Cummings: Vernon Hargraves always a stand-up guy. When I've asked him for an interview, a lot of times I'm by myself this podcast or for our video updates on Peter Pirates, and he's always, always talked to me. Uh, no matter what the circumstance. I, I take a lot from that interview. I thought one interesting part of it was asking him the difference between practice really so far uh, between Cutter and Bruce Arians. And he said there's not a difference. And I, I think there is a difference. I mean, there's no music with Bruce Arians. To me, he kind of keeps guys more accountable, including Vernon Hargraves, who he said a couple weeks ago didn't have his head on straight for practice. So I think there are a lot of differences between Bruce Arians and Dirk Cutter and how they hold practice. I thought it was interesting. Vernon Hargraves said not really a difference so far. Yeah, I'm a little surprised at that, too, because, you know, you're right. I mean, a couple weeks ago, uh, Vernon Hargraves was one of the guys called out for not going out there, not kind of fighting through a little bit of an injury situation. Uh, sounded like you want to make sure he was 100% before he went back on the field, which, again, that's, that's important, too. But I think what um, – Bruce Aarons is trying to instill in these guys is a little bit of uh, uh, just a little bit of jam. I think he's trying to say, "Hey, look, just because you're not 100, percent we still need you out there practicing, getting better. Um, you got to fight through some of this stuff because on Sundays you're going to have to do that." So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it is going to be different. And I'll, I'll say this for Vernon Hargraves: today was his first day out there of practice, really. So, I, I think maybe if we ask him this. Uh, a week or two into training camp, he might have a different uh, might have a different answer for us. But for a guy who's been called out already and who's seen that there's no music and a lot of differences, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, what do you make before we get to Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles and the sound that they've had so far? You know, what do you think of Hargraves? You know, it's interesting that it's you know he hasn't been in the league that long, but he's already you know the senior citizen in that cornerback room. I mean. I think, you know, they're going to put him in better positions to succeed this year. I think he's going to have a decent year coming up. I think he's going to have his best year as a buck. And I'm not saying that's a whole lot, but I think he's going to make a decent jump this year. I have good good kind of vibes about Vernon Hargraves for some reason. Yeah, I share those vibes. And I think, you know, you made a very good point just a moment ago about how on bad teams like the Buccaneers, 
guys who you don't necessarily expect to do something special need to step up and do something special. In this case, Vernon Hargraves needs to step up and prove you know, to everybody again why he was the first-round draft pick for this team uh, three years ago. That's number one. Number two, I think you're right about the fact that he hasn't had a chance really to show us what he's got. Um, he's been hurt, which I don't blame him for. You cannot blame somebody for being hurt. It's not yeah. like he took a gun and shot himself in the foot. Okay, he's not out in the bush in Vietnam. All right, uh, he, he didn't. He, he didn't. You know, try to get himself sent home. The guy's trying to play football. He got hurt. Injuries <laughs> happen. It's the NFL. So deal with it, folks. You're not a bust because you got hurt. Um, so that's number one. Number two, he's played out of position. This guy was brought in and spent his most of his time in college. In fact, I think all of his time in college playing on an outside corner, playing outside corner in a press scheme. The Buccaneers bring him in and put him into a zone scheme, make him play off, and then they ask him, because that didn't work out so well, and why should it? Because he'd never done it before. Um, then, then they ask him, they say, okay, you know what? Maybe that didn't work so well. Let's go to, we're going to put you in the slot. Because in the slot, you're going to play a little bit closer in the line of scrimmage, which is a little bit better for you, and we understand that, but we're going to put you in the slot, which you've never done before either. So, you know, and I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, a couple of sit-downs with Rondé Barber is not going to help a guy like it's going to help, but it's not, not going to get a guy ready to play, you know, 16 Sundays in the slot in the NFL. He's going to have to do that in order to, to get to that point where you, you kind of feel comfortable there. You just got to go out and play. And he never really got a chance to go out and play because he got hurt. So I think there's a couple of things going on there. He's been forced to play out of position. He's been forced to play in a scheme that doesn't really fit the, his, his skill level. And he's been hurt a little bit. So I think if he's healthy – and can play in this scheme uh, at the outside corner spot and play that press man that he's used to playing, I think he can have a big bounce back year and can be one of this team's real top-level players. Boy, so many big years uh, in store for, for so many guys on both sides of the football in this Buccaneers team. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, big years hopefully coming up, if the Bucs are going to succeed, let's go back to Indomitian Sue. His first real practice with this football team, wearing Gerald McCoy's number, of course. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You parallel. brought it up. I didn't, okay? I, well, I'm just, saying, I, I'm just saying it's unbelievable the parallels between those two guys. I mean, drafted back-to-back, -back, uh, almost parallel careers in terms of numbers, same number, and now the same football team. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. But in and, hey, before you go any further, before you go any further, since you went since you went into that rabbit hole, I'm going to go I down. Know. A little bit here, I know, right? I know. Here's I know. my take on the number thing. All right, and again, I'm a McCoy guy. Right. What you just said is 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 impactful here. Came into the league say, at the same time, second and third overall picks in the draft. Both wore 93. Why should Indomitian Sue not wear 93? First of all. Gerald McCoy is still playing in the NFL. I understand that it's usually not like the Buccaneers to give back a number of someone who's been as decorated as Gerald McCoy, but usually that player has retired. Derek Brooks, when he was let go by this team, never played another game in the NFL. Rondé Barber, when he retired, never played another game. Mike Allstott never played another game. They left the game completely. Gerald McCoy is still playing. I, my guess is I'm not sure if there's a 93 on Carolina. I can't think it off the top of my head. But I don't think there's any reason. I, I don't think Gerald McCoy cares. In fact, I think that's why he had a little bit of a the Twitter battle with the ESPN uh, correspondent. So um, at the end of the day, because, again, again, I don't think he cares about that. He doesn't care about the number. 
if the I don't the Buccaneers are not going to retire ninety three because Gerald McCoy wore it. That's not going to happen. Okay, so there's no reason you why don't think McCoy cares that Adama Kasu's wearing his number. You don't no, think because so? he wore ninety three his entire career. I agree with you, but I think I think it's not the fact he's wearing his number. I think it's the fact that he's there. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not like they brought in, uh, you know, Larry Schfields from the New York Jets who wears 94. It's Indomitian Sue. It's kind of the guy you've matched your career with, and now he's replaced you. I think that bothers the hell out of him. Mike, put yourself in this position. You've got six Emmy Awards for your work in, in production – and, yes. and and video work, like and podcasts, the whole bit, okay? You got six yeah. of them. And all yeah. of a sudden, someone comes along and says, you know what? Well, you're still at the top of your – not necessarily at the top of your game, but 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 still good enough to be – you're still the best your, your team is your, – your studio's got, all right? right? And they say, you know what? We're going to bring in somebody from somewhere else. We got, we got a hot guy from L.A. that we're going to bring in to replace you. We appreciate what you did for us. But you're still as good as you were. You have every reason to be upset. You were replaced for no, they didn't replace they didn't replace you with a better player. All right, and I'll I'll say that, and I've said it. They did not replace Gerald McCoy with a better player. We know they didn't replace him with a better person. They didn't replace him with a better player. Certainly not a better pass rusher. Okay, and it's funny how all of a sudden now that Ndamukong Sue is here, we're not here. I haven't heard one person, literally. I have not heard one person ever, and as you said, we're 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 McCoyed out. We're sued out almost. I haven't heard one person say that, well, you brought in the Dominican Sue, except for me. You brought in the Dominican Sue, all of a sudden now the defensive tackle doesn't have to get sacks anymore. I, I mean that's all of a sudden it's like nobody's complaining about how many sacks we're gonna get from the from the three technique in this Buccaneers defense because they know they're not gonna get as many as they used to get. When when six wasn't enough. Because Gerald McCoy was getting was averaging six a year when that wasn't enough, that that's kind of, it's kind of odd that all of a sudden the three point four that you're going to three point five a year that you're going to get from Indomit and Zoo is like oh that's okay, I don't get that. So yeah, but I thought you meant, I thought you meant that Gerald McCoy is not upset about it about any of this. Oh, I think he is upset and he's got a right to be upset. But at the same time, he. He doesn't have that much of a right to be upset because, hey, at the end of the day, it's a number and you can't take the number with you because, you know, you're just not there yet. You're still in the lead. And I, and I don't think I, – I don't th- – I honestly th- – I, my belief, I don't think he cares that much about the number. Well, I think he cares a ton. And, and here's, here's my thing. I think this all could have been avoided. We could have had a lot less Gerald McCoy fatigue if they just would have unloaded him sooner and they would have saved money and they would have maybe got something for him. And Gerald McCoy, you know, maybe the whole thing would have been better on both sides. He wouldn't have had his Instagram posts. You know, Bruce Arians didn't have to say what he did at the owners' meetings. What this podcast has become is a Vernon Hargrave sandwich with Gerald McCoy fatigue as the bun so far. So let's get away. I said we're still on that. The reason that the Buccaneers screwed this one up, the reason they didn't get anything for Gerald McCoy at the uh, at the draft or before the draft, is because they, they tipped their cards. They, they showed everybody what their hand was. Everybody knew they were going to get rid of Gerald McCoy. And around the leagues, nobody, nobody, everybody said, I'm not going to take on a third. Why, why should I take him on? Because uh, look what his contract is. $10.5 million with a chance to make an extra $4 million in bonuses. My, cha- my guess is he'll probably make more money in Carolina than he did for the Buccaneers. But So the, the, people would have taken on the contract, but they knew they didn't have to because of the way the Buccaneers – treated Gerald McCoy 
in the moments after Bruce Arians came in. It was immediately like, well, I I don't think he's going to be here. They tipped their hand. Well, we're going to get to Jason Light in in just a second. But let's go back to Indomitian Sue. And, you know, unlike Gerald McCoy, he's had a reputation of being a dirty player. And he's been fined. He's stomped on guys. He's kind of had that uh, reputation coming in to this football team. And Todd Bowles addressed that in his potential concerns about Indomitian Sue crossing the line as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Here's what brand-new Bucks defensive coordinator Todd Bowles said about that. I don't know about crossing the line. I think he's an aggressive player, and he plays tough football. That's the way you want to play. Obviously, we want to play the game the right way, and we don't want any of that going on, and I think he'll do that. Translation, and by the way, that's vintage Todd Bowles. I'd like to – we should start – if I was uh, doing a local TV segment and I had Todd Bowles, I would I'd do like a, a countdown because each answer is about eight seconds, which in TV is great because these days they only <laughs> give you like 30 seconds for sports. So Todd Bowles is perfect for local TV. But he, that's what he has to say, Roy. And it goes back to, and I agree with you, and Dominican Sue may be better for this 3-4 for what they want, a new kind of mindset for this defense. We'll see if all that plays out. But I think they're just hoping that he has something left in the tank. And that he, they have to say the right things right now. They do. My concern about Ndamukong Sue is he did not play very hard for the Rams last year prior to the playoffs. There was a lot of talk in L.A. about him kind of just going through the motions. Um, you know, you look at the numbers and, you know, he spends, his, he spends all day against Aaron Donald and he ends up with, what, four sacks? Um, I, again, I just think, I think that's what you worry about the most is what's left in the tank. How much does he care? If the Bucks start off one and three, what are you going to get from this guy? Um, you know, how hard is he going to fight? If he wasn't fighting that hard in L.A. for a team that caught fire right at the beginning of the season and only, you know, had fuel injectors uh, fueling that fire all season long, what's he going to do in Tampa if it's another, you know, if it's a 500 or worse season, which many expect it to be? That's my concern. And so as far as, you know, his demeanor on the field, look, I, I get it. That's what Bruce Arians wants. They want guys who are meaner, tougher. I don't think it makes a damn bit of difference because if it did, then Gerald McCoy would have no sacks in his career and he'd be out of the league. He wouldn't have more than, than Sue, although he's got, what, one less, two less or something over uh, 20, having played 20 fewer games. So either way, um, I don't think demeanor matters. Talent matters. Uh, and at the end of the day, so we'll see how it goes. But it's kind of one of those things where when Ndamukong Sue is on somebody else's team, you hate him. When he's on your team, you kind of learn to love him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Before we get to more likely, uh, let's talk about culture. And, you know, you brought up a good point earlier about the indoor facility and, and how that'll, to me, help the players down the road. And I remember covering Sean Payton's first training camp at the Saints, and they were in Millsaps in Jackson, Mississippi, where the weather was horrible. Uh, it just, just did not rain. It was just brutally hot. You had two days back then. And I think, you know, some of that played into the, the team bonding. But I think more than that, it was the great culture that football team had. He kind of weeded out some of the bad guys in that locker room and brought in some good guys. And I think Bruce Arians is obviously trying to set the tone and set his own culture. And he was asked, I know it's very early in the Bruce Arians era, but how's the culture change going so far uh, So in his Bucks tenure? I think it's going well. I, I think the accountability, when I look at the assignment sheets and the penalty sheets, they've dwindled from the beginning. Uh, you expect a lot of them early. But now if you're on there for four or five days in a row, we got a problem. you know, you got two things. You're either not smart enough to play or you give a shit meter, don't run hot enough. All right, so you got to have one or the other. 
to get off that sheet. And that, that's really, I don't even, I don't determine practice how good it went. Got to go watch the film, grade it. We had 35 mental errors. We could have all the enthusiasm in the world. We're going to lose. I'd like to thank Bruce Arians for saying shit for the first time on our podcast. And that, that's the beautiful <laughs> thing about a podcast is uh, we're not censored here. Uh, I love the transcripts. They stay, they took that out and said care in the uh, Bucks uh, PR department there. Nice work yeah. there. But, uh, you know, Bruce Arians, I, boy, he's a breath of fresh air. Every press conference, you just kind of get the feeling, Roy. And I know that there is some coach speak with every coach. But, man, Bruce Arians just feels real in a lot of his answers. Like the, the, he just shoots from the hip every time. Well, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't BS you. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he gives it to you straight. I mean, you just, you heard it right there. If you're, if your give a shit meter doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't, (laughs) doesn't hit red, you you know, you're not going to play for this football team and good that I I agree that needs to happen. That's something that this football team has needed for a long time. One of the problems the Buccaneers have had, and this kind of happens to teams um, that, that are constantly, uh, you know, bringing in young players that aren't quite ready to be leaders and things like that is when you don't really know who's leading the team, you know, that kind of stuff can get lost. You need somebody who can instill that from the beginning. And in this case, it's being instilled from the top. So I think it, I think it makes a big difference. And, and I think you're going to see guys holding each other accountable and coaches holding players accountable in a different way that I think is going to make a difference here. How many, how much, how many games does it, matter i think it's worth two or three wins i think they can win two or three games just based on the fact that their give a shit meter is going to have to run red on a regular basis or you're not going to play i don't know if i'm more excited about moving past gerald mccoy or hearing you say give a shit meter twice in this podcast (laughs) speaking of giving a shit adjusting you know what time it is More likely, baby, more likely fun. Three hypotheticals for Roy Cummings and Justin Thomas as we bring in our producer who does a great job with so much, kind of puts this all together in a big way. Uh, three hypotheticals. Uh, my first one, and I'm going to have Justin go first because sometimes he cheats off Roy's paper and we don't want any of that. Uh, USA Today came out with an article uh, basically ranking the NFL general managers uh, from worst to first. Okay, and the worst was Jason Light. More likely, Justin Thomas, you lead off. Is Jason Light the worst general manager in the NFL? Well, actually, you know what? No, no, sorry, no, I'm sorry. He was second worst. Adam Gase was worse. The worst. He was second worst. Is more likely Jason Light the second worst general manager in the NFL? Hmm. I was going to say before you mentioned Adam Gase because I hadn't seen the article and what the rankings were. Uh, yeah, I would, they want a creative general manager. They want a guy who knows how to work the compensatory pick game. They want to, they want a guy who knows how to structure big contracts, doesn't hurt the team's cap down the road, drafts well, Jason Light not getting high marks in any of that. I, I kind of agree with that assessment. I, I look, I'm not going to say he's the best. He's probably a little bit worse than middle of the road. I don't know if he would be second to last. Um, but I know he kind of was on the hot seat for a while until Bruce Arians came in. 
That's a uh, second at worst is pretty bad. Uh, well, you look at this though, just for a frame of reference before we get Roy's opinion here. Um, you have Adam Gase last, okay? You have Brian Gain, who I've never <laughs> yeah. heard of, is the general manager of the Texans. And the, the writer said this I have nothing of substance to say about Gain. He hasn't been very active in free agency, which I suppose is a good thing. I don't know why that's a good thing. And he hasn't had much of a chance to show us his approach to the draft. Ask me again next year because he's new. On Jason Light, before we get to Roy, the writer said, seriously, how does Jason Light still have his job? Legitimate question, by the way. He spent a, in all caps, ton of money in free agency, and those, and those moves have not paid off. He's also botched most of his first-round picks, which have been near or in the top 10. And, oh, yeah, he's drafted, in all caps, two kickers. He's justified this year's pick by claiming that kicker is one of the most important positions on the roster. Let that sink in. Roy Cummings, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I do agree that Adam Gase is the worst GM in the league, <laughs> but only because Adam Gase is not a he's not a GM. That's right. I'm not sure Adam right, Gase yeah. is, is a coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you believe reports, they whiffed on Peyton Manning. I guess that was the that was the big rumor out there for a while. They're going to get yeah, Peyton Manning. Right. So, look, I'm not sure Adam Gase is even a head coach, much less a general manager. I think he's an offensive coordinator and maybe a decent one at that. So I, I get that. But, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I cannot put Jason Light at number 31 on this list. Where I would put him, low 20s maybe, um, but certainly much higher, and here's why. And, in fact, it's right here in his, in his, his critique of Jason Light, where he says he spent a ton of money on free aid in free agency. Yeah. You know why? Because he was able to recruit those players to Tampa Bay. It takes a, I think a general manager has to be to pretty, especially when you're the GM of a team that's not winning, you got to do something pretty good in order to get those guys to come here. And Oh, by the way, I don't remember one player that the Buccaneers signed in free agency and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, Tell me the one that everybody stood up and said, what in the world are you doing? Nobody had that response to any of these top-level, high-money, big-name free agents that the Buccaneers brought in, that Jason Light brought in. Nobody said it about Jason Pierre-Paul. Nobody said it about Deshaun Jackson. Nobody said it about Ryan Jensen. You can go back years. Nobody said it about any of them. Did some of these guys take their money and run? Absolutely. That happened. Michael Johnson, no question. Uh, it happened. But a lot of these guys, they were the best players at their position, the best players in free agency at their position. When the Buccaneers brought them in, nobody complained. I get it. It didn't work out, but that's not on the GM. That's number one. Number two, you bet You bet he drafted two kickers. By the way, does this guy know Steven Ruiz? Does he understand that the kicker is the number one scorer on an NFL team every year for every team? <laughs> And have you seen the kickers that they have that weren't drafted? They didn't work out either. A couple of them got hurt. A couple of guys are just okay. I mean, do, do you do you think Cairo Santos is a guy that you want to have on the you want do you want the game on his foot on the game on the line on his foot? No, I'll take the best kicker in college football, and I don't have a problem drafting him in the fifth round. So I, I don't think he's the worst GM by any stretch. I think 31 is a slap in the face, and and I don't think it's deserved. 
funny, John Lynch is 27. And I think John Lynch has done an admirable job. He can't help it that his quarterback got hurt. And I love the fact that uh, he basically stole, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots to put John Lynch 27. Uh, Bill Belichick's obviously number one. Um, I, I, I applaud your uh, F. Lee Bailey skills once again, Roy Cummings. But uh, to me, Jason Light has pretty much the same record as Mark Dominic. And Mark Dominic was shown the door. And Mark Dominic had far less money to spend and to me didn't have the opportunities that Jason Light did. If Jason Light didn't have a relationship with Bruce Arians, I think they would have cleaned house, brought in a new GM, brought in a coach who wanted more power. But he knew Bruce Arians, and that was his calling card, and that's why he's still here. And it'll be amazing to see the dynamics if things don't go well in this first year because you know Arians is going to be around, and you get the feeling that Jason Light won't be. But Arians has a lot of pull in that building, so – so many interesting dynamics. We talked about Vernon Hargraves, Jameis Winston, make or break years for so many players. But I think Jason Light has had an ample opportunity to show that he can be a great general manager. He can have good drafts. He can bring in quality free agents. I agree with you. A lot of these free agents on the surface seem like good moves. They just didn't pan out. Even the guy like Brent Grimes kind of typifies the Jason Light era. It was a good move at the beginning, and then it went sour quickly at the end. So – I don't have a problem saying he's the worst GM besides Adam Gase because of his track record, because he had the same record as Mark Dominic. Mark Dominic was shown the door. Jason Light on most NFL teams would have been shown the door. So more likely, I don't have a problem with that. All right. More likely, number two, uh, big scuttlebutt now in the NFL. And we've heard it for years, but it's catching a little more fire lately. The 18-game schedule, getting rid of some preseason games, adding some more games, making it an 18-game schedule. Bruce Arians was asked about the dynamic of shortening the preseason. Here's what he had to say about that at minicamp. When you have a 90-man roster, four games is important for those last eight guys. You know, that fourth game, because they're going to get all that exposure. There are teams that play their starters in that. I think Coach Belichick plays his guys in that fourth game. We'll see where we're at on who we play in that fourth game, but it's really important for the bottom half of your roster. More likely, should we shorten the preseason, add regular season games, Justin Thomas? This one's difficult. I don't know if it's a, you know, you take one, take some games away from one to add to the other. I I know Roy doesn't like the length of the preseason. I can understand from a coach perspective how you would need more games to be able to evaluate these players. Uh, Honestly, the preseason length doesn't bother me. I kind of would like to see more games in the regular season. We would obviously have to add another bye week. Um, but if if we were to sort, shorten the preseason, I think it was, should go down to three, not two. So that's where I stand. Roy Cummings? Yeah, I like the idea of shortening the preseason to three games instead of two. I think that's not a bad compromise. Um, look, I like the 16-game schedule. I don't really see a need to increase it to 18 games. I'm not sure what this 20-game format, why that's so important. Actually, I do. The problem with the preseason is uh, two games are tied to season ticket sales and therefore a big moneymaker for NFL owners. Uh, Take that revenue away and they don't make as much money. So that's what it's all about. And I think that's a problem. Um, I understand that the four games matter for the guys at the bottom of the roster, but the problem is the fans don't care about the, the, the last 22 guys at the bottom of the roster. They really yeah. don't. Most yeah. teams, you can pick the 53-man roster 
within a player or two or three or four, uh, the, the day training camp opens barring injuries. So, um, that, so it's it really the 20 games, the four games in the preseason, that's really all about appeasing coaches and making money for, for the, uh, for the owners. Uh, so I don't think there's really a need for it, but I think 18 games might be a little bit too much. There's enough injuries in the league now as it is. The season's pretty long as it is. Uh, I think 16 games is a good number. I would like to see a compromise, and the compromise possibly be uh, either drop it to three games or two in the preseason, have a few more scrimmages with other teams uh, yeah. to get the work in. I think there's ways to do it, but I think if you do it, I think if you go to an 18-game schedule – You've got to have a developmental league. Yeah, I just don't think the players are ever going to go for an 18-game schedule. And this new CBA agreement, I mean, it's going to be a tough – I think it's going to be a tough road for the owners because these players and, – and I'm on their side. I mean, look at the NBA. Look at Major League Baseball. The money they're throwing at – the guaranteed money they're throwing at these guys. And these NFL guys, it's just amazing to me that their contracts are still set up the way they are. But to add two games, boy, you really got to compensate these guys more. I agree. You know, selfishly from a reporter's standpoint, I love the preseason and, and seeing the stories develop. And, and often you see the exclamation point in that last preseason game. But you're right, Roy. The fans generally don't care about that. I say you shorten the preseason to three games and you add one regular season game, make it a 17-game schedule. I like the idea for additional practices. I think you can get by, though, with three preseason games. One additional game is really not going to hurt you a little bit. The fans will love it. The owners will love it. Throw the bone to the players a little bit for more money, and I think everybody's happy. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I like that idea. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I think it's something, that, it's something they should work on for sure. But it, it appears that, once again, this is coming up. I, I'm with you, though. I don't think the players go for it. No, no way. Uh, final, more likely, uh, I don't know if you guys, even though you, one of you lives in Tampa, one of you lives in Utah, did you get a chance to see Elton John's Rocket Man together since you're big Elton John fans? <laughs> it's funny you say that, Mike. Uh, we went camping over the weekend, my wife and I. So, really? yeah, it was nice. And um, that was a movie we were talking about that we need to go see because of the reasons you mentioned. Uh, we both love Elton John. But uh, shockingly, no, I haven't seen it yet for all the hype I've given Elton John himself. But I've heard it's really good. Yeah, I've heard good reviews on it. More likely, though, I'm going to ask you this, guys, before we get out of here. Um, we saw the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I thought was a great movie. I think Rocket Man is going to be good. More likely, what w next movie would you like to see about a band or a particular singer? Would you find compelling or interesting, more likely? I'm going first. Yes. Um, well, one of my favorite bands they've already done some movies on, uh, that would be the Beach Boys. So I kind of already yeah. had that, but I will pick another artist. I would like to see a movie about, I think Simon and Garfunkel would be interesting. Ooh. Or even oh. Paul Simon. Jeff I love Paul Simon, so. Justin oh, Thomas showing his range. Roy Cummings, is there a movie about a musician or a band that hasn't been made yet that you'd like to see? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I do like the Simon and Garfunkel idea. I think that that would be yeah because they've I mean they've done the Beach Boys. I don't think they've done the Jackson Five very well. Um, you know, uh, they, they I'll tell you what they haven't done the Beatles well. But there's so many movies out there, and I think there's enough 
archival footage that they're better off in documentaries right. anyway. Right. Um, but boy, I, yeah, I, I don't, boy, I don't know. Um, certainly not Peter Gabriel. Um, <laughs> So no, I, 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 I guess, yeah, I think maybe Simon and Garfunkel would be, that'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to see something about them. All right. I got something for you. I don't know if you guys are big fans of these guys, but I think if you really got the the good meat and potatoes of their story, I think it'd be a great movie would be Van Halen and Van Hagar. The whole, Ooh, what the hell happened? Why are, they, why are these guys so uh, just, you know, they basically all kind of lost their minds a little bit. Sammy Hagar seems like the only guy that's somewhat sane but I heard him on a podcast. You guys ought to, our listeners ought to go to this, but don't let your kids listen to this. <laughs> a podcast, unbelievably, between Lance Armstrong's podcast, he had Sammy Hagar on. Okay. Imagine those two talking. And Sammy <laughs> Hagar gives you some stories about his touring days with uh, Van Hagar, I guess, back in the day. Uh, let's just say, keep the kids far, 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 far away. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, I'm just sitting here thinking, all right, Sam, you're remarried now and you have kids and you know one day they're going to hear this. But Sammy Hagar has no filter. So if they make a movie, it's going to be Van Halen, no filter. I just want to know what the hell happened. There's a lot of egos there, a lot of craziness. So I think that'd be kind of cool. Well, listen, we covered Van Halen. We covered Gerald McCoy fatigue. We talked Indomitian Sue, Bruce Arians. Uh, Roy Cummings said shit a couple times. We covered it all in this podcast. You know what? You can check us out on a lot of platforms, iTunes, Podbean, Google+, Stitcher, and Spotify. For our voice of reason, Justin Thomas, and our very valuable Buccaneer insider, Roy Cummings, I am Mike Neighbors. Check out our mini camp wrap coming up on PeterPirates.com. We're going to give you lots of interviews. You're not going to get anywhere else. And, of course, all the ins and outs of what happened at Bucks mini camp. And, of course, if anything breaks, we'll talk about it here on the podcast. But until next time, thanks for tuning in.